Tonight is August 5th, 2015. Uh, the title of tonight's sermon is Out of Order. Out of Order. Um, Steph, if you'll put up one of those first pictures there. Um, I was kind of thinking about some things. There's not much that's worse than seeing kind of an out of order sign. You know, you're expecting to go somewhere, do something, you get the out of order. Um, you can put the next one. I guess this would be worse than just a general one, because now you know you need to climb stairs or whatever it is. I've had that happen a few times. This is probably even worse. That one's probably worse. Uh, but this is how I feel half the time is this last one. Um, yeah, I just feel like I should put a sticker on my head sometimes and be like, yeah, I'm not sure that it's working right, you know. Um, we're going to talk about being out of order. I was thinking about a lot of different things. Uh, we can kind of look at out of order as something that's being non-functioning. You know, a restroom, an elevator, it's not working. Um, the other way that I was thinking about it, and this is what we'll really talk about more tonight, is sometimes it's not functioning, but it's literally out of order. You have all the right parts, you have all the right pieces, but they're just not in the right order. Um, I mentioned on Sunday we were putting up ceiling fans. We just moved, so we get to remodel a little bit that, as that goes. And, um, and for some reason, we get, we've purchased different ceiling fans for every room. So you kind of get used to it on one way, and you get to the next room, and you're like, I forgot, to, I should have put the cap on before I put the blades on, because now I can't get to it, and I have to undo something because I just got it out of order. So um, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Turn to Proverbs chapter 2, and we're going to dig in and see what God's proper order on things is tonight. And we're going to make sure that our lives are in proper order. Proverbs chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. There you go. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Everybody say, fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Amen? He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For He guards the course of the just and protects the way of His faithful ones. Um, I, I hope that even when you read scriptures like this, I don't know how your day has been. I don't know how your week has been. Maybe you feel like putting the out-of-order sign on you and just being like, I just need to go take a nap. I, just, I need to shut down for a little while. When you read this, I want to read it again, parts of these, because it should bring encouragement to your soul. It, could change the way, it should change the way that your spirit comes alive within you. For the Lord gives wisdom. Everybody say, the Lord gives. Wisdom. Wisdom. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Everybody say knowledge and understanding. understanding. How many of you need wisdom? Every day. Er, Every day, right? I I need the knowledge and understanding that comes directly from the mouth of the Lord. There's a lot of knowledge that's out there. I I heard this the other day, and I, again, I'll say some things sometimes, and I'll tell you, I'm not sure how somebody figures these things out. They must be, they're a lot smarter than I am because I don't understand uh, this. Thousands of years ago, knowledge would double on the earth at the rate of about once every hundred years. You would start, knowledge would start to double. Now, knowledge, I'm told, the amount of knowledge we have on the earth literally doubles every 12 to 13 months. The projection that I heard this person give, and again, they're too smart, I can't even explain how they would get all this because I honestly don't know. They think that it'll get down to the point where the knowledge base of humanity doubles every 12 hours. Wow. So how many of you know there's some knowledge and there's some, there's some information out there? But obviously, um, if we operate only from a worldly point of view in our knowledge and on our understanding, if we try to do our life and think that we have it without the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding that comes from the Lord, we're always going to stay out of order. We'll always feel like we're doing the right thing, but we will always constantly be out of order from what God has for us. Verse 7, He holds victory in store for the upright. 
He, he is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For He guards the course of the just and protects the ways of His faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. Somebody say every good path. Not some of the good paths. Not every once in a while you'll figure it out. The Lord and the Scripture literally say that you will understand every good path. I love it when the word uses words, when the Bible uses words like this, that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, that in Christ we have all that we need, that we will understand what is right and just and fair and every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Say there when you are there. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. I feel that way when I listen to the news nowadays. I will listen to certain news stations and I'm like, Lord, surely you need to come in and destroy the wisdom of the wise. These people are so smart, they've literally become absolutely foolish. Well, uh, clearly we want to do this because of this. And you're like, on what planet does that even make sense? But we've come to the point where their intelligence is what they've been uh, ruled by. The Lord says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Who is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him. <laughs> in other words, you think you're so smart? You missed the very Creator when He came. How smart are you then? God was pleased that through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. What we do here is foolishness according to the world's wisdom. The foolishness of the Gospel. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. <laughs> but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Amen? Amen. Take a look in the next chapter. Chapter 2, starting in verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. It's interesting. Wisdom is only displayed among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. Secret how so? Well, secret to the ways of the world. Secret to the people who are searching after it in their own strength. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Can I tell you how many times I heard that Scripture growing up? No eye has seen, no ear has heard. Um, if, we're going to keep reading. I, I love the idea of no eye has seen and no ear has heard. Would you look at the next verse though? Look, look at what the first word is. But... But means that what we just said is true. What we're about to say is even more important than what we just said. We're going to give you something even more important than the first part of this statement because then we said but. I don't want to be rude, but... What's going to come after that? Something that could be perceived as rude. I don't want to be harsh, but... No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. Amen. Quoting from Isaiah. Hallelujah. But God has revealed it to us 
by His Spirit. Goodness gracious, why don't we put such an emphasis on the Holy Spirit here in this church? Perhaps because it's the very vehicle that God used to enlighten us and to share these things and to be, pardon the way I'm going to say this, but to be the but in this scripture. (laughs) That no eye has seen, but He's revealed it to us. So in other words, before the Spirit got to move, people were longing to look into these things. Even angels were longing to look into it. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In other words, I can tell you what I'm thinking, but the truth is, only I really know if, if, I'm, if I'm saying that. <laughs> only God and I. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. <laughs> That's why I love being at this church. I love, thank you Brent for sharing a word. Thank you Nolan for sharing a word from God. I know that others prayed for each other during our prayer time. I love that we can tap into what the Spirit of God is saying and make it plain to those who are around us. We have not received the Spirit of the world or the wisdom of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Hey, don't get upset at the people at your work that don't understand what you're talking about. Right? Don't get upset at your family members who are like, I just don't get you. Amen. It's okay. Because what we're going to talk to you about is hopefully spiritually discerned. And if you're not of a spiritual mind, if God hasn't illuminated it to you, we're literally speaking a different language to you. You're trying to communicate from the kingdom of the world. We're trying to communicate from an entirely different kingdom. With an entirely different spirit. With an entirely different understanding. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Amen? Turn to James chapter 1. Just laying some groundwork here. James chapter 1. And going to start in verse 2. James chapter 1 and verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously. Don't you like people who give generously? Uh, When we we lived in Austin, um, we were... um, following God's will for our life, and we were struggling in certain areas. We were absolutely walking in God's plan for us and had difficulties that arose. One of the difficulties that arose is we had a vehicle and we had gotten some tickets to go to the local circus. We went down to the local um, assembly center that was there, and on the way back, Christy got in a car accident and totaled the car. Totaled. She was amazed that it was totaled because it was... Eh, she's like, oh, Wade's probably going to be mad at me, but it's, well, it'll be fine. They literally totaled out the vehicle. We couldn't drive it anymore. It was done. Um, speaking of generously, there was people in the church that found that out. We didn't make it public knowledge. And they did something that was better than actually giving us a car. I never considered this in my mind, that someone can do something better than giving you a car. And by the way, it's the Green Hornet. So you see us driving around in the Green Hornet. This is the vehicle that was given to us. But they did better because at first they said, look, we're actually not going to give you this car right now. As they're handing me the keys. I'm like, "Uh, I'm a little confused. They said, well, because if we give you the car, then you have to pay for the insurance and repairs, etc. All we want you to do is drive this car for as long as you want to drive it. If you'll pay for the gas, that's all we need you to do. Everything else we want to do. If it breaks, you call me and I will fix it. I will tell you to go to my repair shop and I'll tell the guy to do it and you just drive off and I'll, I'll, he'll bill me. I was like, 
how can you do something better than give someone a car? Well, I guess you could not give them the car. <laughs> but give them the car. Eventually, they, they, they just full and outright gave it to me. They gave it to us, and this is, the, our, this is why I kid around. It's our green hornet, because we drive around, and you can hear us turning. Makes all the noises, and we love it. I think the window fell down on the way to church. Amen? I love that car. I love our minivan. Why? Because to me, it is the, it's one of the best signs in my life of a God who's generous and uses His people to be incredibly generous. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously. Just gives generously to all without finding fault. Don't you love that? You ever have to go and, and, and tell someone that you did something wrong? Hey, look. So, um, at the property that the Treasters are now at, their community, which is where Christy and I and my family used to live, uh, we were throwing a party. We were throwing a, an event, one of the last events that we did there, and I was moving a table, and I broke a brand new table. Like, they had just finished doing the pool, and they had this beautiful table out there, and I slid it across the, the thing, and I was like, I better not slide it, so let me pick it up. And every bolt underneath that thing completely stripped out, broke it, left holes in the table, and I was like, I'm just holding the tabletop going... have to go into the manager, hey, look, I just broke your table. <laughs> How embarrassing, right? I love the fact that God gives wisdom and He's not even trying to find fault in us. He's just going to give it generously. I know you, you need it. So when you ask, I'm just going to give it generously to you. Well, isn't that nice when someone's generous and they're gracious to you at the same time? Look, I kind of messed up. Ah, don't worry about it. Whew. Without finding fault, and it will be given to Him. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. If you're truly a wise person, there's going to be a, an air of humility about you. If you just have knowledge... What does knowledge do? The Word says that knowledge puffs up. You start exalting yourself because you think you're very knowledgeable. But the difference is when wisdom sets in, that's why we expect um, those who had more life experience, either in age or in just experience, you expect them to be able to handle themselves with a certain level of maturity, with a certain level of humility is what you would hope to find. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, quote-unquote, wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Wow. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Everybody say pure. pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. <laughs> Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Amen? Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. So we're laying groundwork here so that we're not out of order in our lives. We're laying groundwork that there are, there's a wisdom that comes from above. And we need to know and recognize what that looks like so that if our life is um, utilizing that, then we understand it. If it's not, we do what James says, and Lord, I need your wisdom. I need your understanding. I need the very essence of who you are that comes from your mouth to transform who I am. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Uh, okay, for some of you youngins, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a throwback here, okay? So back in the day, way, way back in the day, there was this movie, and it's called Back to the Future. Okay? Back in the day. By the way, 
we've already, for those of you who are familiar with that, or like me who saw it when it first came out, we're actually past the date. <laughs> he went into the future 30 years or whatever it was, and I think that we're past that date now. Just to put that in your little brains and make you go home and cry, right? The lead character in the movie, um, especially in the, there was a, a series of movies, but especially in the first one, he would always fall prey to this thing. Like he would, he'd be wrestling with somebody or talking to somebody about something they didn't want to do, and he's just about to walk away. And what would they do? They'd look at him and go, what are you, chicken? And he would kind of bow up and he would go into foolishness. They would, they would, um, they would bait him in with just the word, are you chicken? I'm not a chicken. And he would do stupidity. stupidity. Um, I have to tell you, in my life, the reason I bring up the, the silly movie there is in my life, I have to tell you, this idea in this passage right here of Hebrews 5.11, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Mine wasn't chicken. You can call me chicken all day, I'd be like, okay, whatever. When I was growing up, there was something about it. If you called me stupid, I would turn stupid. I would, if you call this idea of slow to learn, I would do things to try to prove to somebody that I wasn't slow to learn, which made me look. <laughs> I wasn't very teachable for a period in my life because I was so worried about what you might think about what I answered, I would tie myself up in knots. I would always put myself in the wrong place. I'd always choose the wrong path because I was just trying to show I was trying to get the approval of man, and I thought that that's the way that I needed to do it. <laughs> it's hard to explain this to you, because you're a little slow to learn. Oh, thanks. Great. You know what? In fact, there are times when I'm very slow to learn things. <laughs> I'm extremely slow to learn some things. And I realize, oh, well, as long as I'm not doing it for a spiritual reason, this is okay. Hey, can you tell me that again? I don't get it. Cody, you're doing a great job explaining, and I still don't get it. Just try it again. Now there's no fear in that. It's just, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, we'll get it eventually. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths huh. of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant... Are you, are you getting kind of the tenor of this thing? You should be much further along than you are. You're like a baby. You're handling this like a baby. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now we're talking not as much about someone trying to insult you as someone looking at your life and saying, are, do you have the characteristics of someone who's mature because of the wisdom of God? But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. How do you get to the point where you have wisdom and you can distinguish good from evil? It's through constant use. You've got to be trained in these things. If I've never done something at this point in my life, I'm okay with not being very good at it. I'm okay with that. Well, I, I don't know how to do this. I've never reworked an engine like that. I'll try. Baj would have to tell me step by step, and I'm, I feel bad for him because he's having to slow down to teach me. But I don't have a serious problem now if I'd been doing this all my life and still so had to go, hey, Baj, what is that? Oh, you mean the screw right there? <laughs> yeah, and then what's that thing? Uh, yeah, that's a bolt. But we're not even talking about real stuff yet. You don't know. It's through constant use that we can train ourselves. Why is it so important for us as a church, and we say, uh, we used to talk about um, having the stones, right? We'd have scripture that we would put in our pocket. Why? Because we want to have constant use. Every time we start thinking something that we shouldn't, we want to pull out the scripture and cause the scripture to rework our minds. We want to have biblical principles that we not just base our life on because they sound good, but we actually go to the scripture and say, what does the Bible actually have to say about this? I will then conform my life to what the Word says. I will build my life on the Word. There was this, uh, a certain 
champion of a preacher in town who talked about a, I think it's a new book that's, that's been written. And the, really, the, one of the knocks on the book is that there's not very much Scripture in it. Would you care to address that, Pastor so-and-so? Well, most of the people in my church are saved and they know those things, so I'm just trying to help them to live practically. Um, let me encourage you. The way that you get mature in the things of Christ is you constantly use them. Amen. Constantly. Well, I don't, under, I don't understand how to apply a Scripture to this part of my life. Well, then get around somebody who does. And why don't you perhaps ask the Lord and say, I lack wisdom here, Lord. Would you share your wisdom with me? Would you impart this to me so I can build every part of my life on the Scripture? Because if we do that, what did we read earlier in Proverbs? Won't, won't He be our shield? Won't He be the one who upholds us? Won't He be the one who stays off the enemy for our behalf because our walk is upright? Because we're just before Him? The idea that we can't do those things is worldly wisdom. We can be just. We can be holy in our walk with the Lord. Because we can train ourselves through constant use of the Word. Amen? Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Y'all aren't going to sleep on me, are you? Wednesday nights always feel very quiet. I'm not trying to yell at you. Just it feels really quiet. I'm used to you guys being talkative. Philippians chapter 3. Really what I'm saying is this. That knowledge in and of itself is not enough to sustain you. Isn't that what the world says? Uh, you have commercials literally that say knowledge is power. Well, yay. Good job. Knowledge isn't enough to actually sustain you, no matter how fast it's replicating in our world now. What we need is to have a revelation that will sustain us. When we really live and we really get this word that doesn't just, it, it starts off maybe on a card in our back pocket, but it becomes ingrained in our very spirit. It becomes part of our thinking that we can never undo. It becomes a core to who we are. When we get a revelation of who God is, it literally changes everything about us. It literally causes His power, His kingdom to be at work in us and therefore transmittable to everyone around us. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 says this, but, what, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. You know when you're a mature believer? is when it's more than just our words, but we really are okay losing anything and everything. When your faith and your hope is not in your bank account. It's not in what you possess. It's not in the things that the world considers success. It really is going, Lord, for you, I count it all as loss. It's nothing compared to you. And it's not something we say, and amen. Go ahead and say it in faith, right? If you're not there, we want to we get there, but the idea is that it really is reflecting, our words are actually reflecting the spirit that's within us. Verse 9, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. Wow. Isn't that what religion does? It teaches you how to have a righteousness of your own. Don't do this, do this. You're righteous. This says, and be found in Him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Now wait a minute. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. This is the, the argument that people have. Well, by my faith in God, because of this righteousness, I will receive it by faith and my actions will prove that I've received it. Amen? It's not me going to work for it and earn it, and yet because I'm there, I will work and prove to God that I love Him by my actions, by my obedience. I want to know Christ. Everybody say, know Christ. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. 
becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. When the Bible says, I want to know Him, the word there is gnosko. Gnosko, number 1097. Uh, this is also the same word that's used for, you will know the truth, John 8, 32. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's, it's a completed sense. We use this word and we have a lot of different meanings. I can know someone and really I may know their name. I can know something and it's just information. This word know is to really kind of wrap your arms around it, to get your brain all the way around it, and you intimately know what's going on. You know it because you can do it. It's a very uh, modern, actually it's a very Greek thing, to think that you can know something without being able to do it. This is not the kind of know that's going on here. This is an intimate knowledge with it. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. The word power there, those of you who've been around church a long time, this is a familiar word, dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. It's interesting, when I was studying this passage, dunamis is the word that is here, but literally when you look up that word, it says that it's in opposition to a word iscus. And this word, the other word is basically that you have the ability to do it, but you haven't actually exercised it yet. So for you science nerds like me, you've got potential energy and you've got the kinetic energy. I've got something that's potentially there. I have the ability to do this. That's not what it's saying. We're, not, we're talking about the actual realized power of the resurrection the explosive, dunamis, dynamite-type power that transforms, that changes us. I want to know in a deep and intense and an intimate way Christ, the Messiah, and the dunamis of His resurrection. <laughs> I want to understand what it's like to feel the power of the resurrec resurrection at work in my life. Turn just a few pages towards the end to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. Good job. I'm telling you. Got young ladies beating some of you guys, so come on. <laughs> Spencer. There. Yeah, man. I got you. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3 says this. We know that we have come to know Him. If, what? We obey His commands. Don't you like it when the Bible makes it simple and plain? How do you know someone's really, well, can you really know? We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar. Well, it's not very politically correct. Our world wants to say that we can say that we believe it without having to prove it, and it's okay. The Bible says you're a liar. If you say that you love Christ, if you say that I know Him, but doesn't do what He commands, you're a liar, and the truth is not even in you. You're walking in deception. But if anyone obeys His Word, God's love is truly made complete in Him. Goodness gracious. The complete love of God is at work in you when you obey? Yep. This is how we know we are in Him. <laughs> Verse 6. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. Boy, isn't that plain? If you claim to be in Christ, you should walk exactly like He did. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to camp out here for a little bit. Matthew chapter 16. <laughs> so how did Jesus walk? What did He do here? We've got to know him. I, was, I talked to my brother and uh, his wife this afternoon. Uh, my brother's up in Michigan. He has married, uh, they're expecting their first child. Um, they've been married you know, a year and a half now and uh, expecting their first child. She is a, a pediatric surgeon and she's up at the University of Michigan. And we were talking about them having the first child. I mean, we're going to have a, a baby shower this weekend for... Justin and Ella, 
And we were talking through it, and they're trying to explain some things and anticipate. And I'm like, it's kind of funny, huh? And they were like, what do you mean? Like, I could talk to you about what it's going to be like, but the truth is, is there's no way that I can explain it to you until you have your first child. I can only do so much explaining until, because you don't know yet. Right? It's fun for when you're not, when you're not yet married, like our newlyweds here. You're not yet married. A lot of people will try to come and give advice and tell you what it's going to be like, but the truth is, that's only a limited amount because there's an experience that comes along with it. And there's an understanding that can only come after you've started to experience these things. To really know what's going on, takes, it takes some different understanding. It takes a different revelation of what's going on, not just information. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, it says this, The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested Him. <laughs> tested Him by asking Him to show them a sign from heaven. Oh, Lord. Give me a sign. He replied, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. You guys have knowledge, you have information that's going on, but you don't have wisdom about what's actually going on. And by the way, these are Pharisees and Sadducees. So as far as being educated in the things of the Torah, the things of the law, these were the guys who understood it, had it memorized, could debate to the nth degree. You cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? Being buried three days and three nights. In the belly of the fish, just like Christ would be buried for three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Right? So the sign, <laughs> and then it, what does it say? Jesus then left them and went away. Uh, let me put this in modern phraseology for you. Wicked and genera- uh, a, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miracle. I'm not going to give you one except for the resurrection. <laughs> Drops the mic and walks off, right? <laughs> He's like, you want a sign? I'll give you signs. Call the resurrection. Right? And then he turns around, and that's what the Bible, that's, that's my version of the Bible anyway. Jesus then left them and went away, is what it says. In my mind, that's how it played out. When they went across the lake, disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this amongst themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. (laughs) I so relate to these things. God is trying to talk to me about something and I can totally miss the point. Right? Oh, God's mad at me because I forgot to bring the bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you have little faith. Why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you not still understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? We're in Matthew 16. The feeding of the 5,000 was in Matthew 14. We're not talking 20 years before. We're talking a short amount of time before this. Don't you remember the 5,000 that we fed and how many basketfuls, which was 12? Verse 11, how is it you don't understand that I was not, uh, oops, I skipped one, sorry, 10. Or the seven loaves for the 4,000. That was in Matthew 15. The chapter right before this one. And how many basketfuls you gathered? They gathered seven basketfuls in that one. How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Um, Perhaps it was because they were using their worldly understanding the natural understanding and not perceiving something incredibly spiritual, the wisdom that was coming from above. How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? (laughs) Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread. Right? They're Jews. Supposed to eat unleavened bread. 
Kind of makes sense. But against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He was trying to warn them. He said, don't use the wisdom of this world. I have something that you can't get out of order with. I want you to understand what I'm doing. When Jesus came to the region, verse 13, of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But, who, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? But what about you? Don't you just love so many folks in here who minister. We minister in prisons. We minister on the job. One of the things that Jesus does here that is incredible, it's perfect. It's one thing to start thinking about things, but then Jesus does something that's great. He says, now what about you? What do they say? What's being said? What's the pulse? What's going on? Great. Now that I understand that, or now that you've told me that, what about you? Who do you say that I am? So they were giving him information, and he's trying to get down to a point of revelation. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter got it right because he got something revealed to him in that moment. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Kepha. Petra. And on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. I will build my gathering, my assembly, my group of people. Our word church is never intended to be about a building or an institution. That is not ever the word when you're talking about the ecclesia of God. It is never a building or an institution. It is always the people. It is always the gathering, the assembly, the congregation. It is always the people that it's talking about. On this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, to put this in context, Stephanie, if you'll show. This is an artist's rendering of, of what the gates of Hades in Israel and Caesarea Philippi actually looks like. Of the temples that were set up to foreign gods. That they would come, if you can show one of the other ones. This is a more modern day look at it. The cave there is where people would offer their children as sacrifices to foreign gods. That cave right over there to the left, this is actually the place, and you can see these stone tablets. They're kind of explaining these things. I would imagine that Jesus is standing right around here, and they're having this discussion because they're in the area. It it would be the equivalent of... um, Uh, maybe going to New York and standing at ground zero and starting talking to someone about terror or about fear in their life or about being attacked, perhaps. Literally, the sermon that's being preached is being emphasized. It becomes a reverberation. It becomes a resonant piece because of where they are, of the area that they're in, of the understanding that's going on. Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. (laughs) And then it's incredible. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. You're seeing a pivot that's going on here. He's starting to share information with them. When He reveals and gives, I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. There's a word called shamash. Shamash. And it's talking about being a good steward. He's saying, you're going to be a steward of the kingdom of heaven. I give you the authority. I give you the keys. About being... A great steward. Um, I'm just going to turn to Acts. You can stay right there. I'm going to read this passage in Acts chapter 6. And it says this. 
starting in verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Pharmenaeus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the same type of steward, the ones that God set in place here, when you read in Timothy and Titus about the the measures of a deacon or a leader in the church. This is the type of steward that we're talking about. When he says that I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Just a few more verses here. 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus literally starts explaining this whole thing about what's going to happen. He starts laying it out in a different way than he had heretofore. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) Okay, so how many verses before that did he get the revelation that he's talking to the Christ? The Messiah, the Son of the living God. Well, since I did get the revelation, I got this all worked out, Jesus. I'm going to now rebuke you. Yikes. All right, Pete. Good job. Never, Lord, he said, this shall not happen to you. As Jesus is explaining to him what's going to happen, Peter stops acting out of the revelation of what he had been just found out and starts operating out of order. He gets completely out of order. Did he have all the right pieces? Well, maybe so, but he was completely out of order in what he started doing. Jesus turned to him and said to, he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So glad that the Scripture shows real life, right? Someone who can get it so right, a few verses later, can get it so wrong. (laughs) Can get an ultimate praise upon this rock. Pete, you're the man. Going to build my whole church on you. You are the devil. (laughs) Right? It's not because Jesus is schizophrenic here. It's because in one, he was operating from the revelation that was on high and he was in perfect order. The other one, he was completely out of order and got to smack down. Because God loves him enough. Say, whoa, 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 whoa. You do not have in, think, and, and you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, what does it say? He must deny himself take up his cross, and follow me. What if you do those things out of order? If you don't deny yourself, well, if you don't decide that you're going to pursue him, and then you don't deny yourself, let's just start off with, uh, I'm going to start taking up my cross. What happens? We start having a martyr mentality, don't we? We Oh, let me tell you all the things that I'm giving up for the Lord. You haven't denied yourself yet. You're actually trying to exalt yourself by what you're giving up. You're trying to exalt yourself by all these things that you think you're going to do. There are people in other countries, there are people in this country, and they literally think that if they abuse their flesh enough, it will honor God. People who will literally, not figuratively, they will literally crucify themselves. They will nail themselves to planks of wood to show that they identify with Christ. I think that's people who are trying to take up a cross, but they never actually denied themselves. They're trying to do it in the way that their mind can, can, can conjure up 
the way that they think this must be what, a way that pleases God. They've never gone to Him. They've never gotten the download from Him. They're not operating in the Spirit and getting the wisdom of God. They're just trying to do something that they think might please God. What about us? What about you? What about me? Are there areas in my life where I think that I'm pleasing God, but the truth is, I never really asked Him. I just kind of found something that I thought sounded good, and I really liked it when I said it, so I just kind of did it. (laughs) There's an order of operations. In a math class, in very basic algebra, you learn an order of operations. You've got parentheses, you've got brackets, you've got multiplication, division, and addition and subtraction, and you can put numbers on a page, and depending on where all the brackets are, there's an order of operation. You've got to do some things first, and then you go to other things. There's a priority that you're supposed to do. And if you don't do the priority right, you will get a completely wrong answer. If you just go from left to right in math, right? Am I, am I doing okay, Miss Math Teacher? If you just go from left to right in your class, then you're going to miss the answer. And a, and a nice, tricky math teacher would put the... If you just ignored the order of operation, they would put that answer somewhere on there because it feels like it would be right. But you've ignored... Did you do that? Of course you did. See? <laughs> Told you. Because you've ignored the order of operation. You just decided you've, you're going to figure it out on your own. Folks, even if you have all the right pieces in place, if you're not following the order that God has prescribed for you, you're going to miss things. You're going to get the wrong answer and go, well, and not understand why there's really not God's presence and power in your life. Um, At the Baptist school that I was at in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, there were kids who would come and talk to me and go, hey, Mr. Sutherland, we know about God the Father, and we know about Jesus, His Son, but we don't, our church never talks about the Holy Spirit. Do you know anything about Him? Yes. Yes, I do. Would you teach us about the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes, I will. You have to tell your parents what we're going to talk about. Tell them. They can come. I will only show you what's in Scripture. If I can't show it to you in Scripture, you shouldn't believe me. Okay. And so we would get to a point, and here's what would happen. These kids would get so, they were hungry for the Lord. They were learning and growing in Christ. And what they wanted to do was, I'd talk to them about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so many of them had this one problem. (laughs) They didn't have it in the right order. And it became very difficult for them to actually receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because they, really, they were really genuine. They were really serious about wanting to follow Him, but they didn't have things in the right order. And so they actually had trouble sometime actually speaking out and, and receiving the baptism of the Spirit. So here's what I would do. Okay, go home. Okay. You know your favorite worship CD? Because back in the day, kids, they had these little round things. <laughs> they used to be bigger round things that would play on a thing, but now they were smaller, silvery. See, okay, so... Go home and put your favorite CD in your CD player. And when you, you know, you do that, right? Oh, yeah, Mr. John, we love to worship. Okay? When you feel God's presence there, just ask Him to fill you. You're like, seriously? Yeah, seriously. Just when He's there, so you don't get all worried about all these things, let's just get in the right order. Let's just deny yourself. (laughs) Let's take up your cross and let's follow Him. And... Dozens of kids would get baptized in the Holy Spirit and nobody ever even laid hands on them. I'm in a Baptist school teaching kids how to get filled with the Spirit. Wonder why that didn't work out well, right? No. It was great. It was great. Felt like a missionary. Dun, dun. Behind enemy lines, you know. I'm being silly. I loved, I loved being there. God had me there for... A dozen years, 12 years, and I loved it. I loved every day of it. But if we get things out of order, we can struggle with some of the most basic things. We can struggle and, and not quite know why because we've got all the right pieces and we're like, why is this so hard for me? Why, why can't I prophesy? I see other people prophesy. Why can't it should just be this? Just calm down. Let's go back and put things in the right order of what God has. Why don't you just really focus on being hungry after Him? Why don't you focus on staying pure before Him? Why don't you focus on 
getting in his word and let him, let him take care of that. <laughs> Sometimes we can try so hard in an, honor to, in an effort to please God and really what he's looking for is not so much our effort as our faith to just do it. Amen? Is this making sense to you guys? I hope so. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If you try to hold on to the reins, if you try to keep figuring out things in your own intellect, you're going to lose it. The wheels are going to come off. This thing isn't going to work well. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. (laughs) What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they thought. Okay, I'm going to do it again. I just want to see if you're awake, because that's not what the Scripture says. Not enough of y'all called me on that. I was like, whoa. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. When we get this right, when we get everything in the right order, it's amazing when things work well. We had those dumb ceiling fans I've been talking to you about in one of the rooms. promise you I wired it correctly. You'd have been proud of me, Matt. I did it. And didn't work. I was like, I know that I've done this correctly. I, like, I, I can read the directions. I put it in the right order, and I can't do it. Like, I had to go back, and I figured that some of the wires were literally connected. They were inverted. I flipped it. worked perfectly. It's like, they didn't, have, they didn't even have it labeled right in here. <laughs> this is backwards. They messed up. When you do it right, it's, it, it's like it was... I know this is so, so silly. I loved it when I walked over to the wall and went, Ah, I have light. Yes! I have succeeded! I am the man of the house! You know? Doesn't take much to excite me. <laughs> I have fun with ceiling fans. The idea here is when we get things in the right order, there's a lot of joy that comes along with it. Because when things work the way they're supposed to, it's joyous. It brings life to our souls. We get to enjoy what God is doing in us. It matures us. We're constantly using it. And we get to bless other people. We get to encourage other people. We get to see what they're doing and it come to life in them and in us. As we close tonight, I just want to ask you this. Are there areas in your life where you're out of order? Are you working really hard at something and it's just not producing? Imagine this. If you're about to change a tire and you don't realize that there are different size... Oh, I know what it is. I just, I, y'all are helping me. I love it. If you don't realize that there are different size lug nuts and a different size tool that will go on there, And if I get the wrong tool on there and I start really, really working hard and I just bear down and I go, it's it's tough, so I'm going to go, I'm going to work harder. By the way, this is my personality. If it's tough, I'll just work harder. If things are going stressful, I'll just work harder. I'll just go more. You know what I do sometimes, though? Is I'm using the wrong tool. And I go really, really hard with the wrong tool. You know what that does? It creates a lot more problems. I'm out of order, and I'm working really hard at it. And I'm thinking that my effort is what the thing is supposed to be about. No, it's my effort with things being in order. (laughs) Are there things that you're really struggling with in the Lord? Perhaps it's just that you're out of order. Perhaps it's you've never actually asked the Lord what He's requiring of you so that you can be successful in this. Are there things that you are laboring with that the truth is is God's really already granted you? 
And He wants you to walk and to run. He wants you to use them through constant use and be able to operate at just an entirely different level. I'm not saying that His intent is to make everything easy on you. But perhaps we're just out of order. Perhaps it's not coming together right just because just a simple change in our lives would bring about the fruitfulness that God intends for us. Would you guys stand with us?